Jeff, why don't you come? This is Jeff Tuttle. Uh, Jeff and I, I've actually known Jeff for many years. We were in college together, and his hair has always been white. It uh, actually was black when he came to college by the end of that first year because we lived across the hall from each other. It was, it was already white. <laughs> but uh, said is, he's the feet on the ground for China uh, City Ministry here in the U.S. And uh, he's, he coordinates a lot with pastors, get the traveling plans and curriculum and all those things together where Rob and his wife are the feet on the ground in China. Uh, it's, uh, it's better to work it that way and things. We appreciate Jeff being here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and then go ahead and preach. Okay, thank you. I was going to say that uh, Ken and Carla and I were, and my wife were all in college together. And I don't know how come they get to look so young and I have to look so old. I, I don't know. Maybe it's living in the South instead of Pennsylvania or something. I'm not sure. But uh, is it? <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be here. And uh, Dan, thank you so much for the music. Uh, it's a blessing. And uh, it, I just appreciate so much being here and getting to meet you folks. And uh, some of you that I already know, uh, the McCunes. When we came down, I didn't realize that the McCunes are in your church. And Dr. McCune was one of my professors when I was in seminary. Never forget his kingdom course. And uh, Mrs. McCune used to play for my wife and me when we sang. And uh, if you think she can make the piano dance now, uh, back then, uh, wow. But anyway, I won't go on and on about that. But um, God's been good to us. Um, I gave my life to the Lord to serve him full time. He took me to Pennsylvania. I grew up in southern Minnesota. And uh, I was a youth pastor at Calvary Baptist in Lansdale, Pennsylvania for two years. And then we started the seminary. And Dr. Jordan asked me to, to be a part of the faculty. And so I taught there for close to 20 years and, uh, and then in 1992, I filled in for our pastor who was supposed to go to eastern Germany uh, and teach a Bible seminar, and he couldn't make it, and so he came to me and said, Jeff, would you make this trip for me? And that changed our lives. Uh, we thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives in Lansdale and at the church there. And on the night of my birthday in 1992 in Dresden, Germany, the Lord touched my heart as I saw uh, a city with that hadn't had the gospel freely preached for 50 years. I think I, 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 maybe I'm fooling myself, I think I was always willing to do whatever God wanted, but for the first time in a long time, I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. I think I said, we'll go, without talking to my wife. <laughs> However, when I called my wife the first time after we'd been there, and first time since we'd been in Germany, and she said, so how's Germany? And I said, well, how would you like to come? And she said, when do you want me to be ready? Now, I have to admit that when we finally decided, I wrestled for a while with whether, whether to go or not. And uh, when I finally decided, before I decided, she was saying, yes, Jeff, we should go. We've got to make this decision. Uh, after I decided, she started crying. And I thought, um, you know, I can't please this woman um, no matter what I do. And, but I've come to realize that's a very healthy thing. And folks, when, when, when your missionaries especially the missionaries that you, you take on or on deputation or are getting ready to go, pray for them during that time as they're, as they're struggling with leaving everything that they know and everything that they love and going to a new place. And then pray for them when they get there because the first year or two on a mission field, um, there's, so, there's stress with a new culture. And if there are any cracks or stresses in your marriage, and let's face it, every marriage has them, uh, that stress puts extra stress on the marriages of our, of our missionaries. But all that's aside, I, 
Uh, we were in Germany for seven years, helped to plant a church there in Dresden, Germany. And uh, just about the time that I was feeling fairly comfortable with the German language, uh, I got a call from home saying, uh, we, I know you're not, you don't want to come back to the United States. And I said, no, I definitely don't. Well, they said, we need a dean in the seminary. Would you at least pray about it? Well, how can you say, no, I won't pray? And so we began to pray, and through a lot of tears and talking and praying, it became obvious to both my wife and me this time. I didn't say, we will come. I didn't even say, I'll come in that situation. But we came to the conclusion that this is what God wanted. And uh, looking back on it, there were reasons why the Lord brought us, brought us home. And you know, even when we don't when we don't see it, there's always a reason why the Lord does what He does in our lives. He always has a bigger purpose in mind than we can see with our, with our human eyes. And so I came back, become the dean of the seminary. Again, anticipated that, doing that for the rest of my life. And, uh, and then uh, a year ago, last Thanksgiving, I became aware of the fact that because of economic pressures and stresses on the seminary, that um, um, my job was going to be over as of May of last year. And uh, that was a bit of an emotional time, but again, I came to see God's hand at work. I, I've said to folks, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have voluntarily resigned from the seminary, I don't think. It was my life, my, most of my, my ministry life. But uh, almost simultaneous with that news came the news that Rob was looking for, Rob and his team were looking for somebody to be in the United States and kind of holding the ropes and doing some administration and communication and promotion an organization that, frankly, can't be done effectively from China. And so we, we made a, a marriage, so to speak, and uh, I'm, I'm just so excited about the opportunity to be involved uh, in this way with what's happening in China. When I found out that I was going to be a part of this program, uh, Rob said to me, now I'm excited every time I hear Rob Clark. I don't know about you, but I hear Rob Clark, I always get excited. Um, I, I, when I hear him speak, I think, wow, I need to be associated. Oh, wait a minute, I'm already associated with this ministry. But I, I, he said, you've got to come to China. And I had never been to China. And uh, so last May, last week in May, first week in June, I went and visited uh, for two weeks. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to teach while I was there. I said, no, I just wanted to absorb. I just want to get to know, get to see the country and know something about it and, and get to know the people a little bit. And so he did a wonderful thing. He he made time for me to sit down with many of the men that are taking uh, training from him and uh, gave me opportunity to listen to their testimonies and to get to know them a little bit. And I was, I mean, I was impressed with many, many things while I was in China. A few of them a little bit negative, but most of them very positive. And the most positive thing was, was to hear the testimonies of those men and, and, and their, to have their attitude their attitude toward life, their attitude toward, toward God's plan for their lives, their attitude toward sacrifice, their attitude toward whatever, whatever following Jesus Christ might mean. Many young man, 29 years old, David, who uh, his goal, his wife was sick when I was there, and she's still, she's taking medication now, and so that may alter their plans, but, but he wanted to take the gospel to Afghanistan, or to Pakistan, I think, one of the most difficult fields in the world. Um, I've not met him yet, but I heard of a young man, Joshua, who's, who is uh, in, in uh, Ro uh, Rob's son's church. And Joshua wears a t-shirt that says FBI and then Jesus underneath. Firm, firmly believing in Christ, or firm believer in Jesus, or something like that. And he wears that in his, in his university, and he goes knocking on the doors at the beginning of each school year to, 
to find the Christians and to witness, and they've threatened him if he doesn't stop doing it. They've told him, you're not going to get a degree if you don't stop doing it, and he goes ahead and does it anyway. Uh, what an attitude about serving Jesus Christ. Rob shared last night the uh, husband of, of his English te- his, uh, Chinese teacher, who I met the Chinese teacher when I was there, heard her testimony. She had me in tears by the time she got done with it. I think all three of us were in tears. And at that point, her husband was not saved. And she asked me to pray for her husband. And so I've been praying. We've been praying for her husband. And two days after the Clarks got back at Christmas, um, her husband accepted Christ as his Savior. A man who's a member of the Communist Party, works for the Communist Party, and probably is going to sacrifice his whole life, at least as it is now, sacrifice his whole life for knowing Jesus Christ. What an incredible attitude those men and women have to serving Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ. I'd like to talk about attitude for a bit this morning, and I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read a very familiar passage of Scripture. And then we're going to dive into this passage for just a few minutes. I want to begin reading in verse 5, if you will, where... The Word of God says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God hath highly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that you will, that you will take your word and burn it into our hearts this morning. Challenge every one of us with the challenge of this example of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will change us, you will move us, you will be able to accomplish your will in us this morning. And I'll thank you in in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 is, in in this particular passage that we read, is is generally held by Bible commentators as as one of the greatest statements of Christology in the New Testament. The theology of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was and, and what he came to do, the incarnation. And yet... It's interesting that we didn't read the, 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 uh, the preceding context or the, the uh, context that comes afterward, the following context, and we won't do that because of time. But, but this is said in a very practical passage. Paul is admonishing the Philippian believers. He's not so much teaching them as he's admonished them. Admonishing them in the beginning of the chapter, he admonishes them to humility and to care about each other more than they care about themselves. And that will bring unity in the body of Christ. And afterwards, as that verse, work out your own salvation, he says, on the basis of this, put your salvation to work. Put what God has given you to work to serve Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that, he gives this example, this wonderful example of the attitude. Now, my, my translation and the, the King James translation as well, as well, and many translations say, have this mind in you or have this mind among you. The NIV says, have this attitude. That really is the meaning, meaning, and that's the reason I started with attitude. Have this attitude in you, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, 
We need to care for each other more than we care for ourselves. We need to have the humility that brings unity. We need to work out the, the salvation that God has freely given us. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to have the attitude that Jesus Christ had. And so my, my challenge to you this morning is that every Christian should have Christ's attitude. Every one of us that know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior should manifest inwardly and outwardly the attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ manifest, manifested and this that Paul is talking about here, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul applies it to our, uh, to our relationships to each other primarily in, within the local church to, to other believers and our love for each other and care for each other and selflessness in, in regard to each other. But... But Paul's making an application from what the Lord Jesus Christ did. There were none of us that were believers when Christ came. There was nobody whose sin was actually paid for at that point. Christ came to pay for sin. He came to die for sinners, for lost people. And so it applies in in every area of our lives. We should have the attitude of Jesus Christ. I, I find three areas of application. And I'm going to rush a little bit. I'm going to try just to, to be very concise and not to talk too fast. So... I had a lady say to me one time, you know, Pastor Tuttle, when you preach, I'm afraid to look away because I'm afraid that if I fall off your train of thought, I'll never be able to get back on again. And I'm not sure how often that's happened. But I would like us to look this morning at these three areas of attitude. And the first is this. We should have the attitude of Christ in the area of our attitude about what we have. The attitude about what what we have. And Paul starts with, have this mind or have this attitude among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, most people in the world want to hang on to everything they have. They want to maintain and and preserve everything they have, even though it doesn't really even belong to them in the first place. Most of us want to do that. Let me not appear to, to not include myself in that. That's our natural inclination, is to hang on to what we get. Uh, you witness all of, the, all of the complaining and crying about what happened a few years ago when the stock market went down and, and everybody's uh, retirement funds went in half and people were losing what they had or what they thought they had, on paper at least. And, and so we want to hang on to what we have. And what you have can refer to, to, to any or every part of your present circumstances. It can be your, your, your material possessions. What you have can be your your place, your comfort zone, your status in life, the, 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 the position in life that you've achieved. What you have can be your attainments. It can mean a lot of different things. But folks, may I say this morning that if there was ever any position to hang on to at all cost, wouldn't equality with God be it? Wouldn't being in heaven as part of the Trinity and, and on the, with, with God on his throne, wouldn't that be something to hang on to at all cost? And yet Paul points out that the Lord Jesus Christ did not hang on to that at all costs. He did not count it. He did not evaluate it. Something to be grasped, to be held on to tightly, and not to be released. Here it speaks of the privileges that Christ enjoyed prior to incarnation. It speaks of the power and authority that he exercised. It speaks of his pre-incarnation circumstances. And yet his attitude regarding all of that was not protection at any cost. It was not uh, possession at any cost. It began with an evaluation. He counted it or he evaluated it as something not to be held on to at all costs. And that evaluation was the basis for all the activity that follows in this passage and on through the, the Word of God, all that follows. 
So the question for us this morning is, how, how do you evaluate what you have, your circumstances, your possessions, your place, your position? For some, what they have is even the definition of, of who they are. Uh, their possessions, the, the, the size of their house, the status of their job, is a measure of, of what they are. But for Christ, that was not the case. The Apostle Paul says, who, being in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. The Greek uses the word morphe, which doesn't really matter to the vast majority of you, but, but the word means something that's real, genuine, the, the genuine essence of something. Christ was God. We have here, by the way, one of the clear, a very clear statement, one of the several clear statements in the New Testament about the, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was God. But Christ did not count that. His real unchangeable essence was God. And yet Christ didn't hold that as something to be held on to. He didn't count that, didn't evaluate it as something to be held on to at any cost. What does all this mean? He was in the form of God. It means that Jesus was God no matter where he lived, no matter what he wore, no matter who accepted or didn't accept him. He was God. It means that the Lord had it all. It means that the Lord had everything that could possibly be had in time and eternity. Equality with God. And he voluntarily took a step that, humanly speaking, most of us would not consider. Most of mankind would never consider what the Lord Jesus Christ did. It means that all he kept when he came to earth was his equality with God. He gave up the free exercise of his attributes. He acted in the, in the, in the, in the will of God and not his own will. And so it means that when he came to earth, he came to earth for us. I, I brought a book along. You know, we... We want to hang on to what we have. We have an attitude in America, many of us, about what are, what are our rights. And so we look to the Bill of Rights. Well, the Bill of Rights is the Constitution. The Bill of Rights isn't the Word of God. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not decrying the Bill of Rights this morning, but I think sometimes we push that to an unwarranted extreme. When, uh, when my wife and I were getting ready to go to uh, Germany, our missions pastor at the time, Pastor John Garber, an older man, now I'm about the age probably that he was at that time, but, but uh, Pastor Garber handed me a book. I thought to bring it along this, this morning. It's by a, 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 a woman missionary to China years ago. Her name was Mabel Williamson, and she wrote this book, Have We No Rights? I read the book cover to cover. It shook my world. It did. I think every, I think every Christian ought to read it. I think every missionary ought to read this book, Have We No Rights? But every, every Christian ought to read it. Because she makes the point that Really, we don't have all the rights that we think we have. And so, let me read you her chapters very quickly. The rights to what I consider a normal standard of living. The right to ordinary safeguards of good health. The right to regulate my private affairs as I wish. The right to privacy. The right to my own time. The right to a normal romance, if any. The right to a normal home life. The right to live with people of my choice. The right to feel superior. The right to run things. But then she comes to the end and says, but Jesus Christ had no... He gave up all of His rights when He came to earth to save us. And her point is that if we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not the way missionaries serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the way Christians should serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have a different attitude about our rights. And so I ask you this morning, what is your attitude about your rights? What things are you hanging on to ultimately? What things do you not want to let go of at any cost? We value our freedom, but 
going to Germany was interesting. Those folks that used to be behind the Iron Curtain said to me, it wasn't so bad living behind the Iron Curtain. I remember saying to a teenage girl the first time I visited there, in my American presumption, I said to her, aren't you happy now that you're free and, and you have to have freedom instead of living under communism? And she said, no. I said, really? She said, no. She said, my whole life was planned out before the reunification came. And now she said, I've got to make all these choices for my life. Now to us, choices are a good thing. To her, they weren't. You and I have to understand, we have to have a different attitude about the things that God has given us. We need to understand that we, we don't deserve them. We didn't do anything to earn them. God's not, God hasn't blessed us with that because we're better than the rest of the world and God can take them away. I was interested in what Rob said, that because I've thought, I haven't, can't quite bring myself to pray for it, but I've thought that it might be better for the cause of Christ if there was persecution in America. It might be better for the cause of Christ if we lost some freedoms. It might separate some wheat from some tares. And, and God's work might go forward in a better way uh, if we weren't so free and we didn't have so much. One of the things that uh, that moves me to do is to say, God, help us to make that decision before that time has to come, before you have to bring that. So what do you cling to as your right? A couple weeks ago, our pastor preached a message from Luke 14. And uh, it's one of those discipleship passages. That's the theme in our church for the coming year. And that passage concludes with this challenge that Christ makes about, about leaving everything. He says, He who doesn't renounce everything isn't fit to be my disciple. And you know, that, that caused me to think for a long, long, long time. To give up everything. I, I honestly think what he means is you're not willing to give up everything. I don't think that means that God wants us to sell our houses and go be street people and, you know, divest ourselves of everything and go live on the street with our families. But what it means is we shouldn't be hanging on to anything more tightly than we hang on to Jesus Christ and the ability to serve him and to love him and to know him better and better day by day. So, what's your attitude about what you have? And, and how does that attitude compare to Jesus Christ's attitude about what he had, which was so far above anything that you and I possess, anything that you and I have? Well, let's go on to the second area, which is in verse 7. And that's the attitude about what you'll do. So we have an attitude about what we have. Maybe we need to change that attitude. We have an attitude about what we'll do. And he says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he made this evaluation. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, for most people, even Christians, their activity is for their own benefit. Much of their activity is for their own benefit. But Jesus Christ ran counter to that. Jesus Christ made himself nothing. He made himself, the King James Version says, of no reputation, but he emptied himself sometimes, they say, and that can be a little misleading. I like the phrase, he made himself nothing. From the glory of, of, of heaven, he came to earth and made himself nothing. It means exactly what it says. He made himself, he emptied himself of himself. He, his own comforts and desires, his own benefits and will. I challenge you to find in the New Testament any time, any activity of Jesus Christ where he worked, he did anything for his own sake. You remember it says when they, when they persecuted him, he didn't answer. When, when, they, when they slapped him, he didn't answer back. He didn't defend himself. The Lord Jesus Christ did nothing for his own benefit. 
Um, he divested himself of his self-interests. And so why did he do this? Well, to do the will of God, the Father. To, to, to pay the price for our salvation and for, for all that we have in Jesus Christ. Luke 2.49, when they found Jesus in the, in, in the temple, when his parents took him up to Jerusalem for the first time, and you remember his answer when they said, why didn't you come back with us? Why, where, how, why didn't you tell us where you were? And he said, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? You know, the first evidence of that, I'm, I've got to do the Father's will. And in John chapter 4, when uh, the disciples came back at, after the conversation that Christ had with the woman at the well, you remember they said, Master, eat. And he said, I have meat to eat that you don't know not of. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Christ did it. Christ did it to f- fulfill the will of the Father and to do what was necessary for mankind. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man came not to, be, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He did what was necessary for mankind. He did what was necessary for us. He made himself to be sin for us who knew no sin, Christ who knew no sin, so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. You see, there was no personal benefit to Christ in what he did. He took the form of a servant. He became a real servant. He became a real man, a genuine human being. He could not die to pay for our sin without that. Uh, You may have a counterfeit bill that looks just, counterfeit $20 bill that looks just like the real thing, but that counterfeit $20 bill will not pay a debt unless you've got the real thing. And Christ could have come looking like a servant, looking like a man, but if he wasn't really a servant, really a man, he could not have paid for your sins and mine. So Christ gave that up for you and for me. It's human to have our activity driven by our own personal ambition, but Jesus Christ was made in the likeness of men. He became a man, a human being. To us, that's not so bad. We are human beings. We've not known anything else. But can you imagine the God of the universe, the Son of God, putting himself into the limitations of a human body? One who'd never been tired, now getting tired. One who'd never, not one who'd never been hungry, now being hungry. One who'd never been thirsty, now being thirsty. One who suffered all the limitations of human flesh. And he did that for you. He did that for me. For a person with their own ambitions, such a change would be unthinkable. We think of change as being change for the positive. Uh, a, a change that moves us forward. A change that brings us a, a, a promotion at work. A change that brings us something better than what we have. But Christ stepped down to take our place. Christ's attitude about what he would do, he did what, would, what in, in human thinking would be unthinkable. An unreasonable thing to do. He left heaven and he put himself in human flesh. So how does your attitude about what you would do stack up against the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, folks, I honestly believe for any of us to say, well, you know, Lord, I'll serve you, but the moment we say, Lord, I won't do that, we've stepped out of any kind of following Jesus Christ. We've stepped in violation of that statement of Jesus Christ, one who won't renounce all isn't fit to be my disciple. There's nothing that you and I should not be willing to give up for Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you and I should not be willing to do for the one who gave up everything. Gave up everything for us. I heard not too long ago of a, of a man, a pastor frankly, who said, he was thinking about the mission field and he made this statement. Well, I could, 
I don't think I can ever go to the mission field because I can't take my children away from their grandparents. I tell you, folks, now, now listen to me. There's, 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 I don't think there's a missionary alive who's had children on the mission field who've then left to go home and they're by themselves or, or, or missionaries who have left children. We left adult children and went to Germany. And, and I don't think there's a missionary in the world that doesn't weep over that, that that's not a sacrifice. I had a missionary wife say to me and mother, uh, when I was just overlooking at Germany, she said to me, listen, the only sacrifice for us in serving Jesus Christ on the mission field is in the area of being away from our children. But if your children stand in the way of you serving Jesus Christ, that, that's a huge mistake. That, that's a sin, and, and I think there's going to be a, a harvest to be reaped in that. When we were getting ready to go to Germany, um, our, I think it was our youngest son who was really struggling with it. And uh, he just, because he was the one that.